starting a brand new series today called I Love My Ecclesia. And we're going to start here. Back in um, July of 1961, 38 members of the Green Bay Packers got together for the first day of training camp. Now, this, this year was especially uh, different because the year before, just a few months before, uh, the Packers had actually lost um, a fourth quarter lead to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL championship game. This was pre-Super Bowl, so there was, there was no Super Bowl yet. Um, but they had lost um, the championship game the year before, so they show up, they're hungry, they're ready to get back at it, they want to get back to the championship game. And their coach, Vince Lombardi, legendary coach in the NFL, stands before them, and I will let author uh, David Marinus explain what happened next. He says, he began a tradition of starting from scratch, Assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before, he began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. These are professional athletes, right? These are, these are guys who have played football their entire lives. And Vince Lombardi says, just to start from the very beginning, guys, this is a football. Now, I am not saying that I am the pastoral equivalent of Vince Lombardi, but I am going to start from scratch today. We're going to start from the very, very beginning of this thing called the church. We're going to go back to opening day of the church and look at what is the church. And, and, and one of the reasons I want to do this it's been, it's been a long, weird four months in many regards, but as we begin to kind of regather here, as a little bit of normalcy starts to take shape, I, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind some of us, maybe communicate it for the very first time for some of you, what the church is. So I want you to picture me holding it up in my hand and saying, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is the church. This is the church. Because see, I don't know what you think. And I don't know what you feel, because for some people, it's more of an emotion when you hear church or when you think about church, but more than likely, it's very, very different from what the first century Christians thought of when they thought about the church. We forget this, but the church didn't start as an institution. Church didn't start as a weekly you know, gathering in a building with a pastor and a band and a building and, and banners and all the other words that start with B. It, it, didn't, it didn't start like that. There wasn't even a Bible then. We're going to come back to this idea of, of, of not having any formal facilities in a second, but, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, here's how the church started. The church started as a multiplying movement of people centered around an event that actually happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how the church got its start. It wasn't about a program or a building or a pastoral staff or anything that we really think of when we think about the church from the very beginning. The church was a movement. And as somebody very, very smart around me says, movements move. They move. They're supposed to be some kind of, of, of momentum. Now, I've shown you this before, but I couldn't resist the opportunity to show you again. We're going to look at a, a Greek word together. I'm even going to throw it up on the screen to let you see what it actually looks like. So for those of you who don't think I'm deep, today we're going to go a little bit deep, okay? And my goal isn't to be deep. My goal for you, for us, 
is to get us to rethink about how we think about the church. That's my goal for this series, is to get you to rethink about how you think about the church. Maybe even redefine at an emotional level what the church is for you and for your family. So here's the semi-academic part of the message. Um, In the Greek New Testament, every time you get to the word translate, not every time, but the, the, the word translated as church is this Greek word right here. It's ekklesia. Ekklesia. Um, in, in Greek, you can go to, to work this week and tell everybody you know Greek now. Ekklesia means an assembly, a gathering, a congregation. Okay? And, and when Jesus launched this thing called the church, he launched it as a gathering, an assembly focused on a single idea with a single focus working towards a single mission. But then something really, really terrible happened. Um, as, as time kind of went by, it was actually within the first 300 years of the church. As time went by, the church transitioned away from the ecclesia and became more about location. It became more about hierarchy, liturgy, tradition, all of those things that it's become known as. And, and if you know any church history at all, you know the church went through a terrible, terribly embarrassing time um, during the medieval dates. A lot of things were wrong about the church, but Um, some of the stuff stemmed from an incorrect theology about what the church was, a misunderstanding of what the word church is. That little Greek word that couldn't be any clearer, ekklesia, became a different word. It's actually a German word, and I'm not going to say it right, but here it is, kirche. That's that's the, the, the word that we get our English word for, church. And kirche is not the same as ecclesia. Kirche means the Lord's house. It's a location. It's a place. And, and there's, there's a capital L there. But in German, it, it didn't really have anything to do with necessarily Christianity. It could mean a gathering place or a ritual place for any people of faith. But it was about a location. It was a spot, a building. So think about that. Less than 300 years After Jesus started his church, the idea of gathering or or assembly or congregation of people changed to a specific spot, a specific place. And, And are those two things connected? Yeah, absolutely. But the meaning behind them are completely different. The meaning behind Kirche and Ecclesia, it's just completely different. And, and you see this linguistic transition result in some terrible theology because before long, uh, the church was about a building and whoever controlled the building controlled the money. And whoever controlled the money controlled the scripture. And whoever controlled the building and controlled the money and controlled the scripture controlled the people. And it resulted in all kinds of terrible things. What began as a multiplying movement this gathering, this, this assembly became very insider-focused and, and hierarchical and unethical, destructive, that really had no reflection of what the church started as, of, w- of what it was supposed to be about. But then something awesome happened in the 16th century. A guy showed up in England, scholar, his name was William Tyndale. Um, he was an English linguistic scholar who decided 
it was time for the average person to be able to, to have access to the Bible. Because in that day, um, the only way you had access to the Bible was if you went to church and the priest read it to you. Because it was the only translation they had was in a language that nobody knew except for the priest. Nobody had access to Scripture. And, and again, if you control the Scripture, you control the truth, you control the church, you control the people. And, and William Tyndale decided it is time for that to change. William Tyndale decided it's time to put the scriptures into the hands of every single person. And he translated the scriptures from original Hebrew and Greek into English. And as you can imagine, that angered church leaders because they start to lose their power. They start to lose their control over the people. He became an outlaw in England, fled to Germany, where he continued his work. Thanks to Gutenberg, 100 years earlier, um, he was able to print copies uh, specifically of the New Testament and started to smuggle them into England, which just enraged church leaders even more. William Tyndale was actually um, uh, martyred because he did this. But one of the things that, that drove the church leaders crazy was how Tyndale translated the word ecclesia. Because when he got to that word, he didn't translate it as the German kirche. When he got to that word, he translated it as the word congregation. Assembly, this gathering movement of people, which was Tyndall's attempt to return the New Testament, to return the gathering of God's people back to what it was meant to be, what it started off as, as this multiplying, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational gathering of mission-centered Jesus people. And, and so today, it, it, I just want to go back again to day one, to the very beginning. And, and, and for some of us, this is, uh, this, is, this is review. For some of us, it's a little bit of, of, of new information maybe. You know, when, when COVID hit, we just hit the switch and it was off, right? And it's not as easy to just turn it back on. Today is a little bit more of starting to exercise some of those muscles that may have atrophied. And, and I just want us to go back and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is the church. This is what we're supposed to be about. This is who we're called to be. So if you have a Bible, find Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, in the book of Matthew, there's this incident where Jesus gathers his disciples together and he asks them a question you should never ask your friends. You should never ask your friends this. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, what's the word on the street about me? You should never ask your friends that question. You just shouldn't, okay? And, and, and they, they look at Jesus and they say, well, some people are saying you're like John the Baptist reincarnated. Um, some people think you're kind of like an Old Testament prophet who's come back from the dead. And Jesus says, okay, that's great, but what about you? Who, who do you guys think I am? And Peter pipes up because Peter's always the first one to talk amongst the disciples. And he says, I think you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I think you're the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And here's how Peter, or here, how's it Jesus respond to that? Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, this statement that you just made about me being the Messiah, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, here's our word, my ecclesia. My, not my building, 
Not, not my gathering place, my congregation, my assembly, my movement, my church. You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, your translation may say hell, may say death, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That what Jesus meant by that was that no matter how many people die, no matter who dies, no matter how many generations this take, this movement, this gathering, this congregation will continue forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because the church wasn't about a building. It wasn't about a hierarchy or a tradition or any of the things that it became about in the first 300 years. It was birthed as a movement of people. A few short years after that, Jesus had another conversation with his disciples And this was after he was crucified, after he rose from the dead. He spends about 40 days with his followers. He gathers on a hillside. He pulls them all together. There's about 120 of them at this point. And he gives them his final instructions. We know of it um, as the Great Commission from the book of Matthew, but there's actually another version of it where Jesus gives his final instructions in the book of Acts Chapter 1, he, he already said, okay, I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stop it. I'm going to launch this thing around the idea that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then in Acts, he gives his disciples their, their marching orders. Here's the mission. Here's what I want you to be about. He gathers the 120 on a hillside. Here's what he tells them. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him, talking about Jesus, and asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Interesting question. See, they're thinking in terms of a political kingdom. They're thinking in terms of when when is something like David's kingdom going to be established again? They're thinking in terms of a political kingdom, something many Christians continue to put their trust in 2,000 years later. And Jesus doesn't even answer their question. He completely ignores the question. Look at verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but but you will receive power. And I wonder if their ears perked up when they heard the word power. I like power, Jesus. Talk, to, talk some more about that kind of power. And Jesus is like, no, not that kind of power. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and here's what you're going to do with this power. And you will be my witnesses. A little Greek word that means the same thing as a witness in a court. Somebody who will testify to something accurately, represent something that happened, or accurately represent what a person did or said. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I just picture the disciples going, to the ends of the earth? Like, Jesus... Do you know how big the earth is? To which the creator of the earth could have said, you guys don't even know how big the earth is. Like, all you know is Rome, and Rome is big. But this thing I'm starting today, this thing I'm I'm handing to you to go out and build this kingdom of mine, man, this is going to touch every corner, this message, this movement, this multiplying and assembly that I'm entrusting to you guys, it's eventually going to touch every single corner of this planet. And ladies and gentlemen, as we sit here today, as you watch online right now, we are a small part of a fulfillment of that prophecy. 
Because when Jesus said this, there was no America. Topeka, Kansas? What? What is that? As we sit here today, gathered in the name of Jesus, we are a small fulfillment of that prophecy. And then the most amazing thing happened. The leader of the church left. He left. He gone. He left. And, and, and this 120, there's 120 of them left. And they meet and they pray together. And, and just about two weeks later, something amazing happened. Many of you know the story, so I won't rehearse it. But if you want to read it, go to Acts chapter 2. Jerusalem. Um, it's full of people that have shown up for, for this Jewish festival called Pentecost. And there's all of this um, all of this movement, all of this gathering, all of this assembly. Does that sound familiar to anybody? All these people are in Jerusalem. And while the 120 were praying and meeting together in this upper room, the Holy Spirit shows up in this powerful way, just as Jesus predicted it would. And, and those 120 went out into the crowds in the streets of Jerusalem and began to speak with those people from all over the world in a language that they could understand. They never, the disciples never had the ability to speak that language before. But the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak that language. And all of a sudden, in the middle of Jerusalem, there's energy, there's turmoil, there's, there's excitement, there's angst. And how is it that these Galileans can speak my language? And who's this Jesus guy you guys keep talking? He died and he rose from the dead? What? There's all this movement, all of this excitement. And, and the significance of that day was not that the message of Jesus was proclaimed in a language for a people. It was proclaimed in a multinational, multicultural audience. So people from every tongue, tribe, and nation could understand it. That's the significance. And as people began to gather, begin to talk, begin to wonder, begin to question, Peter sees a crowd, sees an assembly, sees a congregation, and he decides, hey, I think, it's first, I think it's time for the first sermon in the church. And he gets up and he starts to preach. And he's in front of this Jewish audience, so he stands up and he goes to the Old Testament because that's what they would understand. And he goes to the Old Testament as a way of saying um, that the stuff that's happened amongst us today, this was foretold in the Old Testament. This really shouldn't surprise us, guys. And then he moved into more recent history because there were people in the audience that day that, that, that could have said, yeah, I think I do remember. I, geez, yeah, I remember that guy. And yeah, I, I met one of his followers. And yeah, I was on the outskirts of the crowd that one day when he healed that lady. And yeah, I was there the day when he, he walked down that road with a cross on his back. I, I know exactly who you're talking about, Peter. And then he says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all, here's the word again, witnesses of it. We... we we're not just simply regurgitating something we believe. We're talking about something we saw. We're talking about things that we, we saw with our own eyes. And if you're new to church or you're new to Jesus, you're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, this is a really, really important piece of it. The first century followers of Jesus were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity isn't just about embracing a teaching mentally. Christianity from the very beginning was about testifying to what God has done. 
It's testified over and over and over again in the book of Acts. You see them talk about the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. We saw it. We saw him die. Three days later, we had breakfast with him on the beach. They're witnesses of these things. We're witnesses of the fact that he came back to life. Not years, not centuries later. Three days later, two months ago, in this very town. We are witnesses of this. He goes on. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. And I wonder if Peter pointed at him. (laughs) Some of you were there. Some of you yelled, crucify him. And some of you, like me, walked away and denied him. You crucified him, but God raised him. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And I don't know this, but I wonder if a hush fell over the crowd at that moment because they're feeling a little bit called out. But they're also seeing this guy who turned and ran when his Messiah was arrested. And he's got this boldness. Something's different about him. I just, I just wonder if a hush fell over the crowd. What, what are the religious leaders going to do? Are they going to kill Peter now too? Because they killed Jesus for doing the same thing. And what is Rome going to do? Rome doesn't like assemblies. Rome doesn't like when people gather. What are they going to do? And then somebody was bold enough to stand up and ask, Peter, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Yeah, we remember. Yeah, we saw. We can't deny it. Yeah, we were there. We stood in the crowd and yelled, crucify him. But now it's too late. What are we supposed to do? Here's what Peter told him. Don't miss this. Peter replied, attend church regularly. You didn't laugh. You need to read your Bible. That is not what it says. Okay. Now, the reason I want to throw this out here, just a little comedic tension here is because we read this story and you kind of feel the energy, the excitement, maybe even some angst. I mean, this is opening day. This is day one for the local church, the ecclesia, and there's so much happening and we're just reading it. Like we can't, we're not there experiencing it. We can't smell it. We can't see it. We can't feel it, right? But for many people, when they think church, you know what they think? Attend. How boring. How incomplete. How wrong. We, we think, we think oh, I, I need to get back to church. I need to get my family back in church. But I'm just telling you, that day in Jerusalem, no that thought, that idea wouldn't have even made sense. Attend? Attend what? In the beginning, the church wasn't about attending something. It was so much more. So much more. Here's what Peter actually said. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Here's a promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Pause right there. Do you know who all who are far off is referring to? Us. You. Me, your children, your grandchildren. This was Peter's way of of saying this isn't a Jerusalem thing. 
This is not an us generation thing. This is not just a Jewish thing. This thing that's happened today in our midst, all the supernatural power we're experiencing, it's not just about us or our children. It's for people who are far off chronologically and geographically. This, this thing that started today is going to reach way, way beyond our lifetime. Because remember, Jesus' words are ringing in Peter's ears. Not even death is going to stop it. Not even COVID is going to stop it. Not even the, 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 the idea that we can't meet together in the same building for four months is going to stop it. This, this generation, Peter, will die and be forgotten, but Jesus is still going to build his church. This, the next generation may be tortured and killed, but Jesus will still build his church. And the next generation, they may forget they, move, they may lose sight of what the ecclesia is really supposed to be about, but guess what? Jesus is still going to build his church because he said he would. Peter said this is going to reach people who are far off, people who aren't even born yet, people in places that we don't even know exist. And there was so much movement and momentum at this point. Peter didn't have to have an altar call. He didn't have to have the band come out and play a closing song. They just kind of did it. That happened naturally. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? <laughs> Especially if they all had to make a video. Do you know how long it takes to make one video? <laughs> 3,000 people in Jerusalem who'd heard and witnessed the life and teaching of Jesus. 3,000 people in Jerusalem, many of which who could say, don't miss this, many of them could say, time out, Peter. I'd like for you to come with me to Jesus' tomb. We all know where Jesus' tomb is. Let's just go there and let's look at the body. They couldn't because there was no body. 3,000 people in Jerusalem, in the very city, where Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, 3,000 Jews said, I believe. <laughs> and they were publicly baptized for the repentance and forgiveness of their sins. They joined the movement that we know of as the church. I mean, the apostles were probably baptizing people for days and days in every body of water that they could find. Can you imagine the stir? I mean, Jerusalem wasn't a huge city. Ancient cities were not that big. 3,000 people suddenly converting to Christianity was a big deal. From day one, from day one, the local church was a movement. It was powerful. It was dynamic. And thousands of people embraced the message. And 2,000 years later, here we are. I, 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 I know I nerd out about this stuff sometimes, but here we are. There, the, do, you, do you know everything that Christianity had to go through in order to get to today? Do you know that's only because the empowering of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago? There was a lot of momentum back then, and it's lasted 2,000 years. And yes, we are meeting in a physical location. I will not deny that, and I love it. But it's not about location. Because the church is a people, not a place. It's a people. Not a place. And if and when we forget that, we start doing things based on bad theology. 
We make decisions. We have reactions. We think things. We, make, we, we get frustrated over things that we don't need to. And one of the best things about the church throughout the last 2,000 years is that there's always been a group of people who have gotten that. There's always been a remnant who've gotten this, that the church is a people, not a place. And one of the things I love about my ecclesia, and when I say my ecclesia, I don't mean I own it. This is not my church. This is Jesus's church. But one of the things I love about this local church is that so many of you get this. It's why you hoop and holler anytime somebody gets baptized. It's, it's, it's why so many of you meet in groups because you understand that the church is a people, not a place. It's why so many of you serve the poor in our city and why you get on trains, planes, and automobiles and go all over the world to serve poor people, to serve missionaries, to serve all people that we are connected with. It's, it's why, hey, some of you, some of you don't know this, but some of the money that you've given has helped start other little ecclesias from Garden City to Kansas City. This is how much you believe in the ecclesia, the movement, the gathering, the assembly that Jesus started. There's always been and there always will be a remnant of people who understand that ecclesia is not about location or style or approach. It's about gathering around this idea that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God who died so we could be forgiven, who rose so that we could have life. And we, you and me, we're just witnesses of it. We're just witnessing of all that he has done in history, of all that he's done in our individual lives, and all that he's promised to do in the future. We're just witnessing to the greatness of Jesus. And so, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to know what comes to mind when you think of the church or what you feel when you think of the church. But I hope, I hope we don't waste covid I hope we don't waste it. I hope that maybe over the, the result of the last four months, your idea of church may be a little bit different than it was before. It may be a little bit different. It, it, I hope you see that whether we meet in this building all together or some of us are in this building and some of us are online or we're all back online again, I hope you see that the location and the meeting face-to-face, -face, that's so important but I hope you never, ever, ever, ever allow yourself to slide into thinking that it's only about a place, that it's only about a location, that you have to be in the Lord's house for church to happen. No. No. I hope for the rest of your life you'll understand the church is a multiplying movement with extraordinary momentum because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. I hope for the rest of your life you'll be on task. You'll be on mission of witnessing to what Jesus has done in history, to what, witnessing to what Jesus has done in you. To be on task, to be on mission with the marching orders Jesus gave us, regardless if we come together under one roof or not. And I hope for the rest of your life you'll think correctly about what the church, the ecclesia, really is. You're going to get so sick and tired of me saying this for the next five weeks. The ecclesia is about a people, not a place. Now, next week, 
Next week, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We got through Acts chapter 2, verse 41, um, and we're going to continue on throughout. But here's what I'd love for you to do. I would love for you at some point this week to pull out that Bible that William Tyndall died to give you. Feel a little guilt there for you? I'll use it, okay? Pull out that Bible, and I want you to read the first two chapters of Acts, Acts 1 and 2. And, And here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand, if you have any connection to the church whatsoever, Acts is your story. Like, it's your story. It's, it's our story. As followers of Jesus, it's where it all started. These, these are the people who made it possible for us. And thanks to, to people like William Tyndall and others like him, you can read the Bible in your own language. You don't have to wait to come here to church for me to read it to you. Did you know you can read it yourself? You can. You can find it online for free. You don't have to wait for me to read it to you because the Holy Spirit is still available He's still working, and he's still empowering and moving this thing called the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly, the multiplying movement of people. And my prayer for us, my prayer for you, is that we will always be a church right in the center of what Jesus is doing through his big C church in our community and around the world. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Let me pray for you. And then we're going to sing the probably the part of the service you really want to get to. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we can only imagine standing there in Jerusalem experiencing this. We can't, we can't see it. We can't smell it. We can't feel it. We can't feel the fear or the angst or the excitement. We can only imagine. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, gathered in the name of Jesus because we believe that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And God, I pray that that this local ecclesia would always be a part of that remnant, that group that's always in the center of what you're doing in the midst as as it relates to your church, and that, that there would always be a sense of movement, a sense of momentum in this place, in these people. And God, when we hand off the local church to the next generation, some of the kids that are in cribs today, some of the children that are sitting with mom and dad right now, some of the middle and high schoolers that are honestly ready for me to say amen and move on, that when we hand it off to them, that it would be in even better shape than when it was handed to us because we believe the message of Jesus is still for those who are far off. God, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to handle your word, for preserving it for us. Would you help us to be extraordinary stewards of your ecclesia, this gathering of your people. And we pray it all. We ask it all. In the name of Jesus.